Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We are thrilled you have joined us for this week's podcast. Today we are privileged to have a guest speaker. May God bless you as you enjoy this week's message. Well, let's take out our notes as we talk about being a people of His presence. It was in the Old Testament that Moses said, how can people distinguish us from any other people in the place of this earth? If it isn't for thy presence, without your presence, we're just like anybody else. It was the presence of God that led them through the wilderness in the Shekinah glory that we call a cloud by day and fire by night. The presence of God is what identified the people. And we get to be a people of his presence. Now I've got to tell you the story when I became poignantly aware of the presence of God. It was about three years ago here at New Hope because of the size of our family when we've got to move to a different location. It is a major exodus. And so the school, which we're so grateful for to have allowed us to be housed here, uh, usually give us eight months advance notice so that we can plan and get a large venue. But they forgot about three years ago what was going on and realized that in three weeks they needed the auditorium. We scrambled. We called all the largest venues we could in the town. Nothing was available. The only thing available to us was the park. So we thought, we better go for it because we've got to make some plans. However, when you do an outside service, the sound system is huge because there's no bounce back. There's no walls. It just goes on to infinity. And the lights, because we're doing a Saturday night service, and then we're exposed to the elements if there's wind or, Lord forbid, rain. rain. So I knew I had to get on my knees and talk with God very seriously about this. So I had an appointment with God and I said, God, you know we're doing your work. This is your thing, not mine. And so we need to like have no rain. So God, I really need you to answer this prayer, please. I've served you for many years, so remember that. And just one thing, I don't ask much, but this one is really important. So. Finally the day came, Saturday night, we had one service, two on Sunday morning, and uh, Saturday night everything set up. And if it rains, we're in trouble, because you have electrical lights on the outside, it can destroy the lights, short circuit things, the speakers will get ruined, you got to cover everything. Then you have an outside stage with people playing electrical instruments with electrical cords. So you could just see if it starts raining and something shorts out, a guitar player all of a sudden, you can see smoke coming out of their ears. I thought, we don't have life insurance for these guys. So I said, God, you cannot let rain happen. Well, Saturday night comes and it starts to sprinkle. It starts to rain, not too much. And so I thought, oh God, please, 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 please. So we get through it before the rains hit. And so I went home that night and I got on my knees and I said, Lord, it's sprinkled tonight. You allowed it to sprinkle. And uh, you know, I have a heart to let you slide on this one. It's all right. But tomorrow, I'm sorry, there's like no margin of error on this. And, and remember, I've served you for a long time. A lot. Yeah, I do a lot for you, you know. So please remember. Well, the next morning, God must have a sense of humor when we think we're in control. And because the next morning, I got up and it was pouring rain. Pouring. I mean, not just raining. It was pouring. It was like Noah's Ark kind of rain. And 
I look out the window and I thought, oh, no, 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 I'm going to be a man of faith. No, I ask God, he's going to answer this prayer, I'm a man of faith. So I get in my car and I'm in a condo, right? So when I go out into the open area, the rain is pelting on my windshield. But by faith, I don't turn on my windshield wipers. <laughs> Yeah, and well, I get there to the, to the uh, park, and they're just a huddled group of about 15 worshipers, so faithful, but they're worshiping God, and the people are playing, you know, they got umbrellas over each other, and they're playing worship, and these 15 people are just worshiping God, and I thought, bless their hearts, only 15, but uh, they're just worshiping God, and the ladies' mascara's all running, <laughs> you know, they, they look like the group kiss, it's just all... Uh, <laughs> And, and so I go off to the side and I'm complaining to God. I said, God, come on, I've been praying a lot for this and I asked you to not let it rain and look what's going on. Everything's being ruined. Thanks a lot. Come on, God. I just need you to answer this one prayer. And people over here seeing me, you know, doing this and they thought, oh, look, our pastor, he's worshiping God. was so hot. He got hot. But what they didn't know is I'm just grumbling to God. But right in the middle, I, it was like God put a mute on the universe and he spoke to me. I don't know if you've ever heard God just speak so clearly with a reproving edge, but with a grace. But he said to me very clearly, I remember, my hands were up, I was grumbling. And God said, Wayne, you're more concerned about the absence of rain than you are about the presence of God. He said, if I stopped the rain, but my presence weren't with you, this would turn into a barren desert. On the other hand, if my pre presence were here, regardless of the rain, I would start a revival. You're more concerned about the absence of problems than the presence of God. And for these last three weeks, you have not once asked for my presence. That is what sets you apart from the rest of the world. And you've not asked for that once. You're just concerned about the absence of problems. I want you to be concerned and hungry for the presence of God. And when he said that, I said, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and then I really started crying, and I'm glad it was raining so no one could see my mascara run. And I was kidding. Well, I just, oh God, I'm so sorry. Until this day, I remember that so clearly so that whenever an event comes up here at New Hope, the first thing I pray for is the presence of God. And God says, when my presence is there, I'll take care of the rest. There are two men that were on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem, that encountered the presence of God too. But they, like me, didn't recognize it. And they were walking in, and, and, and this was after Jesus had been crucified, died, buried, and resurrected again. So he is in his resurrected form. I mean, he can walk through walls at this time. He was just in his resurrected form. But they didn't know about what was going on. Now, in those days, they felt the Messiah, his role was to come and eradicate the Romans. For the Jews were under Roman occupation. And they felt if the Messiah would come, he would devastate the Romans and restore the nation to Israel. 
But Jesus didn't come to redeem Israel from the Romans. He came to redeem Israel from their sins. Well, he didn't like that. So they're walking down this road and they're grumbling. And in Luke 24, we find the story of these two and their encounter with the presence of Christ. Now it says that they were walking down. One's name was Cleopas. And their eyes were prevented from recognizing Christ when he joins them on the road. And just began walking with them. They just thought he was a visitor. And Jesus said, what are these words that you're exchanging? You're looking so sad. One of them, Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you like just a visitor to Jerusalem? Don't you know what has happened in these days? And Jesus said, what things? Tell me. They said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazarene. He was a mighty prophet in deed and in word and the sight of God and people. And the chief priests and rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. And we were hoping that he would deliver us. Now there were some women among us who amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning and they didn't find his body. They told us that he was alive. Now we went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said. Him we did not see. And verse 25, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe. Slow of heart to believe. Can you say that phrase with me? Slow of heart All that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. Now, they approached the village where they were going, Emmaus, and he acted as if he were going to go further. But they urged him and said, please stay with us, it's getting towards evening and the day is nearly over. Well, they sat at a table and he took bread and blessed it. And breaking it, he began to give it to them. And verse 31 says, Then their eyes were open. Read it. It's at the top of your notes. Would you read it with me? Go. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen. I want you to catch this picture with the presence of God now. Jerusalem here, they're walking to Emmaus, seven miles away, so it'll probably take them two hours or so. They're mad, they're discouraged, they're disgusted. Jesus, the presence of God, joins them. They're still mad, discouraged, and disgusted. Now they get here, and within the hour, they're going back jazzed and amped and stoked. Now watch this. In the form of Jesus, the presence of God was with them to Emmaus. They were still mad and discouraged, disgusted. The presence of God was with them going back in the form of the Holy Spirit, but they were jazz, amped, and stoked. Now, what made the difference? Why were they in one way sad, the other way glad? 
What changed them 180 degrees in their disposition, their countenance, and their excitement, and their attitude? Was it the presence of God? Mm, no, because the presence of God was with them to Emmaus, and the presence of God was with them back to Jerusalem, but everything changed in between. What changed? I'll tell you what it was. It wasn't the presence of God. It was them recognizing the presence of God. In fact, would you write a number one? What makes the difference is recognizing his presence. See, it's just like John 8.32. Remember it says, you shall know the truth and the truth will what? Yeah. Now, it's what sets you free? The truth? Well, here's the truth. And just because we have the Bible on the shelf, does that mean now everybody's free? No, no. It says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. What sets you free? The truth? No. The truth that you know. Recognize. Apply. That's why devotions are so important here at New Hope. And I ring that bell and beat that drum. Because if you don't open this and know the truth, you can be going to church, you can be a Christian, but still bound up in your marriage, in your attitude, in your disposition, in your thinking, in the way you make decisions. And you think, oh, I'm a Christian, how come I'm having so much of a problem? Because it's not the truth that sets you free, it's the truth that you... No. So, you go through this on a daily basis. Oh, I didn't know about that. Huh? Now I do. Well, I didn't know that about my marriage. I didn't know that about my temper. I didn't know that about my pride. Oh, and all of a sudden, a change is happening from glory to glory because you are now not just having truth on your shelf, but you are recognizing truth. And the same thing is true with the presence of God. Are you willing to recognize Him? I encourage people, everything you do, just like today, recognize that you're in the presence of God. It's almost like we should take off our shoes because we're on holy ground. Don't take them off now, you know. And if you ever do here in church, ask your neighbor first. But, but we're on holy ground. And when I go to Ala Moana to, to shop, I, I pray for a parking spot. And when one opens up, I just I, I th say, thank you, Lord Jesus. Mark him out as the source of your blessing. Mark him out. You see, God got you up this morning. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. But he did. Thank him for that. He gave you breath. He gave you another breath. He didn't have to. He could have pulled your number last night, but he didn't. Thank him for that. So when I go, I, I pray for parking spots. And people go, Wayne, that's so stupid. You pray for parking spots. I said, no, that's not stupid. You know what is stupid? You driving all over the place without a parking spot, and then you have to park in Kauai to shop at Ala Moana. <laughs> no, you mark him out as a source of your blessing. 
story is told of a guy that, that was late for an interview, and so he's driving around the block again and again and again, and he's thinking, oh no, I need this job, and the interview is happening right now, oh no, and he starts praying in desperation, God, he said, God, if you just open up a parking spot, oh God, I'll stop drinking, I'll stop smoking, and I'll stop yelling at my wife, oh God, God, all of a sudden, right in front of the building, whoosh, there's a parking spot on the fourth time around, there's a parking spot, he pulls right in, oh God, oh God, forget about that prayer, I found one, no need, no need. <laughs> no, mark him out as a source of your blessing. Because it's the truth that you what? No. You need to recognize truth. And when, if we're going to be a people of his presence, you need to recognize that we're in the presence of God. Recognize that he's active in your life. Because if you just pass him by, even though his presence is here, he doesn't affect you. You don't let him. Let him begin to affect you. Let me ask you, what does it take for you to recognize God in your life? You see, some people, it takes a two-by-four to false crack you. And then it's like, oh, God, sorry, huh? It, it requires people's families to be utterly shattered before they turn to God and recognize His power. It requires some people to be in a, in a devastating financial setback before they say, oh, God, I guess I need your help. Do you need to be in desperation before you recognize God? Many people do. Let me encourage you to ask God to increase your belief in God. That it doesn't require all of this. Do you remember the phrase I had you re, uh, repeat after me? Oh foolish man, slow of heart to believe. Did you know that in everybody's heart there's a little dial in there? And for some people it's set on slow of heart to believe. Some of you, it's set on medium of heart to believe. There's others, it's set on quick of heart to believe. One of the best prayers you can pray is this. Ask the Holy Spirit to increase the pace of your heart. In fact, would you write that in number two? One of the ways to be a people of His presence is let the Holy Spirit reach into your heart and increase that dial setting. Increase it. Let's read again what was said in Luke 24. Would you read it with me? Go. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. You see, they said women went into the tomb and saw it empty. And, and, you know, we didn't find his body. So what are you doing here all down in the mouth? Well, I don't know. You're slow of heart to believe. How much more do I have to show you to let you know that I want to be involved in your marriage, your life, your finances, your future, your decisions? Will you let me? Because God's presence is there, but if you don't recognize him, he has no entree. 
and nothing changes in your countenance. You can go to church, you can be a Christian, but still be sad and blue and bad and angry, discouraged and devastated. And even though the presence of God is with us, we're not a people of His presence until you, what? Recognize the presence of God. One of the greatest prayer that you can pray is say, Holy Spirit, would you increase the pace of my heart? Let me ask you, what's the pace of your heart? Is it set on slow? Is it set on medium? You say, Wayne, how do you increase the pace of your heart? Well, let's read this uh, next scripture. After they had recognized Jesus, they reflect and they say this. Would you read it with me? Go. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Here it is, listen. One of the ways to allow the Holy Spirit to increase the pace of your heart is when God speaks to you, or the Word of God, whether it's through Scripture or spoken Word or spiritual intuition that God nails you with on the inside. Here it is. Let what God says affect you deeply. See, sometimes we're pretty stoic, and we, we hear God say something. Oh, that might be about us. Oh, no, 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 no it's not about me. And we, we kind of keep this stoic feel and we don't let God's word affect us. No. One of the ways to allow your heart to change its pace from slow to quick is let what God says affect you deeply. You're in church and God says something to you, let him affect you. If tears flow, let it flow. Don't say, no, 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 I'm not going to let that affect me. Well then... God can't change you. Let him touch you. Let him into your heart. Let him affect you. I was just talking to a couple out there and they were tears were just rolling down their face just a half hour ago. And they said, boy, God has spoken to us today. Just crying. And I thought, your heart's on fast. Your heart's on fast. Let what God says affect you. Today in our modern society, because we're all gladiators, you know, we cry more at movies than we do over real life. We feel more for the cause of save the whales than we do about save our families. We spend more to win the Super Bowl than to win people to Christ. Speaking of the Super Bowl, to prove this to you, do you know how much we spend every Super Bowl in America? Spent on one game. You know how much? $5.6 billion. Every year. On the game. And not only that, guess how many people watch the Super Bowl every year? In 232 countries, 151 million people. $2.8 million for a 30-second commercial they spent. It's crazy. And you want to know something else? You want to know how much we eat <laughs> during the Super Bowl? This will blow your mind. Here it is. What we eat during the Super Bowl. Eight million pounds of popcorn is consumed. 28 million pounds of potato chips 
And I have some cousins, I think they eat half that amount just themselves. <laughs> 53 million pounds of avocados for guacamole. <laughs> and poor chickens. <laughs> One billion chicken wings are eaten. That's why all the chickens in America, no more arms. I just want to... <laughs> I just joking. And Anheuser-Busch is so happy because we drank 325 million gallons of beer for one game. Now, must be really important, huh? I mean, you think about it. $5.6 billion in all of this food consumed for one game. All right, let me ask you how important it is. We spent so much money and so much time and ate so much. All right, five years ago, just go back five years. Who won the Super Bowl? <laughs> Steelers. 2007, who won the Super Bowl? Must be real important, you guys. <laughs> Indianapolis Colts. 2008, who won? New York Giants. 2009. Steelers, very good. 2010. No, the Saints. 2011. Packers. 2012, UH Hawaii Warriors. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? In every service, I'll ask people like, I don't know, I don't know. You spent 5.6 billion, yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> it's like crazy. The value system of the world changes so quickly that the saying of John Wesley affects me even more when he said, I now value all things only by the price it will have one day in eternity. Well, this little thing here, how much will that be worth in eternity? Not much. Then that's really the value now. Well, what about repairing this family or this relationship? How much will that be worth in heaven? Tons. Then that's how much it's worth right now. Your family doing well in Christ, how much do you think that's worth in heaven? Tons. That's what he shed his blood for. Good. Make sure you prioritize that. But often we sacrifice what is most valuable for that which is not valuable. You understand? And Satan dupes you. Let me tell you something. This is real important. How the enemy works to mess up your values so that you live for that which is temporary and sacrifice that which is eternal. Do you remember when Jesus joined himself with the two on the road to Emmaus? It said their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. We say, well, Wayne, what prevents us from having our hearts open to God so that the Holy Spirit can increase the pace of our heart? What is it then that prevents our eyes from seeing his presence so that we'll be influenced by him? I'll tell you, you want to know the thing, the major thing that causes us to not see the presence of God? Well, uh, bring this board out here, would you please? Thanks, Mike. Uh, let me give you one word so that you'll know 
What is the one singular thing that causes us from seeing, recognizing Christ? Here it is. This is what prevents us the most from seeing Christ and letting him touch your heart. What is that? Every single one of us wrestles with pride. Me too. In every single one of us, there's a measure of pride that we have to deal with. But here's the insidious thing about pride. Pride is like a parasite on the inside. It's an insidious parasite, like a tapeworm, that whatever God gives to you, it eats up before it gives nutrients to your life and your soul and your family. Pride eats it up because it lives off of that and steals it from you. Let me tell you something else about pride. Here it is. Pride lies. Pride lies. You see, Lucifer was cast out of heaven because of pride. The Bible says he lifted himself above the throne of God. He was cast out and he is called the father of lies. When Satan, who is the prince and power of the air, he's been released here, he, what he does is because he is filled with pride and he's a father of lies, he knows how to use pride and lies the best. He has made it an art. So you can't even detect it in you. You don't know that you have worms of pride, the internal parasites. You just know that things aren't getting to me from God. Why? You see, here's the, the duplicity, here's the ruse, here's the deception of pride. Pride lies. When you have pride resident in you, here's what it'll say. Keep that front up, keep that strong front because you're in control. See, pride lies to you that if you have pride, then you can control things. I don't need to do that. He says, I don't need to do that. See, pride says, I'm in control, not them, not her, not him. What? We need counseling? No, honey, you need counseling, not me. Yeah, you go, you go, go. Yeah. See, what pride says is, I'm still in control. But here's the ruse and here's the deception. You are not in control. You are under the spell of pride. Now, you can't detect it. There's an old saying that says the eye cannot see the eye. Try see your eye. <laughs> you can't. But if there's something wrong with your eye, somebody else, right, can see it. That's why often pride is so tough to detect because we can't see it. But someone else, when they point it out to us, we're like, what? I bought you. <laughs> see, pride says, I'm still in control. Even though I kind of think I need help, no, I'm in control. And it is a deception to lie to you to think you're in control when you're actually under its control. We say, well, how do you get free from this? I'm going to give you the antidote to pride that you never thought would be. But here it is. It really is.
godly commitments. You see, one of the things people don't want to do is make commitments in our society. You know why? Because Satan says to you, if you make a commitment, then you're under its control. You lose control because you make a commitment, you've got to follow through with it. Now you are stuck. You're imprisoned. That's why you look at our society today, the thing that people hate to make are commitments to anything. That's why so many are living together because I don't want to marry you because it's a commitment. And pride says you stay in control of this. So we rationalize it, but I don't want to make a godly commitment. But I tell you, it is godly commitments that set you free. Huh? Yeah. You see, when I make a commitment to Anna, I'm no longer under the control of my fickled flesh. The temptations and lusts that come after me. I said, no, I made a commitment to my wife. What happens? I'm now free from those claws and talons that would pull me. Well, things go wrong in my family, but I'm committed to my family and I'm staying with it. Whatever people say, I'm going to stay with it because in the end, this is what's very valuable in heaven. That's my value too. If you don't make a commitment, do you see how you're tossed to and fro by every wind? By the fickleness of your flesh, your anger? That's it. I'm out of here. You want a divorce? Go. Go. Doesn't bother me. It's like, man. I know where I'm going. And pride puts you under a spell that you're un in control when you're not. You're under its spell and you're not free at all. It just got you to give up a commitment and you make a permanent decision based on a temporary setback. Here's the, the lie. It'll force you, Satan will force you to make permanent decisions based on temporary setbacks. And if you take it to the nth degree, that's exactly what suicide is. You're depressed, oh, what did you do? You made a permanent decision based on a temporary setback. You could have solved that with some help. But Satan doesn't want you to because of pride. You make a permanent decision that's irreversible based on something that was actually passing. Do you understand the lies? So pride lies, gets you to think that you're in control, but you're under its spell actually. How do you breach that? How do you, what's the antidote for that? Make godly commitments. No, not just any commitments, godly commitments to your faith, to your family, to your spouse, to what God's called you to do in your life, your calling. Make godly commitments and then you're free. From all of the little nitpicky things that say, well, don't do this. Well, that's too hard. Well, you don't have enough money for this. I don't care. I made a commitment and I believe it's a godly commitment. I'm going to watch God provide. And you stay true. Because when you make commitments, maturity happens. Growth happens. Fruitfulness happens. People start developing deeper relationships. My wife doesn't have to worry if I'm going to bail out on her next year. See, because of a godly commitment, we can get on with just being friends. And when we slip or make a mistake, I know she's going to be there to support me. She knows I will do the same. Do you understand the fruitfulness and the longevity and the peace that comes? Godly commitments gives you freedom. Pride steals it. It's an insidious internal parasite. And their eyes were dimmed from recognizing Christ because of pride. And that'll happen in anybody's life. Oh, no, I'm not going to let him touch me. No, let God touch you. Let him affect you deeply. And then the pace of your heart will increase to quick. Now write down number three. Remember, His presence is always with you, but you must 
recognize him. You see, Matthew 28 says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. But if we don't recognize his presence, we won't change. Let his presence be recognized. When you get up in the morning, Jesus, thank you for this day. You're here, huh? You're going to counsel me. When you know somebody's watching you, recognizing you, you act different, don't you? Yeah, if you're eating and then someone comes up with a camera. <clears throat> I remember I was eating in a cafeteria in high school and Cheryl Tyler was a uh, cheerleader and oh man, I was in love with her. And... And I was eating lunch, and I remember I looked over and she was checking me out. Like, mm -hmm. And as soon as I knew she was recognizing me, man, I picked up my knife and started cutting my meat, you know, correctly, dabbing my mouth like this. And then I put my implements down, I started posing. <laughs> you know, it's like when you know somebody's recognizing you, it changes everything about you, doesn't it? Have you ever been talking stink about somebody and all of a sudden, oh, hi. Yeah, if you knew, if you recognized the fact that he was behind you, would it have changed the way you spoke? Absolutely, absolutely. And the same is true with Christ. You've got to recognize that he's right there and all of a sudden it changes who you are. It makes a difference. But if you don't recognize them, it won't change you. Now the people of God's presence are people who recognize His presence. Mark Him out as a source of our blessings. i got to tell you this story. I was talking to my wife Anna, and this was before talking on your cell phone was not lawful uh, when you're driving. So I was, I was actually talking to her and I said, Hey, honey, where are you? She said, oh, I'm at Ross. I said, Ross, again? She said, well, I'm just picking up a few things. I said, okay, well, I'll see you at home. Okay, bye, click. And I had a friend riding in the car with me. I said, my wife shops and shops and shops. She always shops. But what happened was I forgot that I didn't realize that when I hit it, I missed the off button and it was still on. She's listening to me. And I heard this little voice, what? Shop? What do you see? Ah! Uh, hello? Hello, honey? Hi, honey. What is this about me shopping all the time? Oh, oh, no, no, I said... No, I said to Mike, my wife is shop. Oh, she's shop. My wife is shop. I love you. But you see, if I would have recognized that she was still listening, do you think it would have affected the way I spoke? Absolutely. Can I encourage you this week to do something to remind you that Jesus is listening. When you talk to your wife, when you talk to the people in the freeway, when you uh, talk to the people at the store, whatever it might be, uh, Jesus is listening. And, and remember, we're here to please the one who enlisted us as servants, most of all. Jesus, uh, God asked the Jewish people to have reminders all the time. 
I mean, they have something called a tzitzit, which are four tassels that go from their robe and actually elongates beyond their robe to remind them on the four corners that they are a people who are to obey the ordinance of God wherever they turn, north, south, east, or west, that they're in the realm of God, obey the ordinances of God. They would have what they call tefillin, which are wrappings on their uh, hand to remind them that the Word of God is to be a part of everything they do. They have something called a mezuzah, which is actually on the door as a shem, the Hebrew letter shem for shalom or rather shema. Shema is a word to hear. Out of Deuteronomy 6, shema Israel. Yahweh Elohenu, Yahweh Echad. The Lord thy God is one God. And then it says, You shall speak of the Lord when you go into your house and when you go out, and his word shall be on your doorposts and your lintels. So they actually put a reminder there when they go into the house, they touch it. When they go out, they touch it to remind them that the word of God is to be a part of their life. The Amish used to do that, and they probably still do in their dining room. They have an empty chair sitting there, an extra chair to remind the family that whatever conversation they're a part of, that Jesus is there as their guest. Changes the way they talk. My wife and I have decided to put reminders in our house. So when you come into our house, you'll see scriptures on the wall. One that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have Colossians 3.15 on our teapot. We found one that talks says the, about the peace of God. And we have it in the kitchen, in the living room, just to remind us. I have a, this band here. People ask about this band. It's from our college. I put this band on be, because it reminds me that Jesus is near. So I must live exceptionally. And that's what it says. Live exceptionally. And so whenever I look at it, I remember I must live exceptionally because I'm in the presence of God. I'm a people of His presence. Can I encourage you this week? Would you, and write it down, your last point there. Establish reminders. I don't care if this week if you put a string on your finger. I have a little heart that I got at doing church as a team. I put it next to the ignition of my pickup. So that when I put the key in the ignition, I see that heart. And it reminds me to make sure I keep the heart of Jesus when I'm on the road. Because I forget. What can you do? How can you remind yourself? It might be a band, it might be a post-it sticker on your computer that you write something, a scripture that you're memorizing at work. Just put a post-it note. That's the easiest. But when you go to your life group this week, as we're asking everyone to be involved in life groups here at the church, at least for the next 12 weeks, and in your bulletin there's a locations of them, and if you didn't sign up for one, just go to one of those at that time. But I want you just for a moment, and if you're a facilitator, ask, what reminders have you established this week to help you to recognize that you're in the presence of God? Let's be that. Because when you do and recognize His presence, it changes the way you live. And you let the Holy Spirit increase the pace of your heart. Because you're letting what God says affect you. And you're making godly commitments because you want to be free from the duplicity and the deception of pride. And I want to be people who are in control under God's grace so I'm no longer 
affected by the temptations and lies of the enemy. I've made a commitment and I'm following it through. And then you become a people of his presence. And that's the kind of people we want to be. Can you say amen to that? Let's be a people of his presence. Let me pray for you as we conclude. Lord Jesus, thank you for such a fabulous church called New Hope. We ask your blessing on them. May we be known as a people of his presence. People who are quick to believe. And we don't need a two by four from heaven before we listen. And as you speak to us, God, God let your word affect us, touch us, reach us deeply. That we don't put up a shield to somehow deflect what you say so that we don't have to be touched by you. No, God. Come. Affect us deeply. And in doing so, we become transformed from glory to glory. Help us to communicate with you every day. To talk to you. And mark you out as a source of our blessing. Thank you for letting this church be a people of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you will join us next week. God bless and thank you for being part of our church family.